Hey, everybody. Super excited for this chat today. Special Massachusetts edition, uh, talking tech, tech insight, analysis, and future with John from Diginomica. How are you? I'm really good. I got to compliment you for no canned questions. This is great. I just got through <laughs> another podcast where we were doing all these rehearsals and stuff. I have no oh. idea. I have no freaking idea what you're going to ask me. And in my opinion, that's where the action is. So thanks for. Well, I, we're going to start on the rails versus go off the rails. Yeah. But there is something to live video that makes it a little more interesting and exciting. Um, let's start with introductions. Um, who are you, John? And although we followed you, each other for, gosh, a decade or longer on social media, uh, what do you do exactly? <laughs> That's a really good question. To some extent, I'm still trying to figure that out, but I am the <laughs> co-founder of Diginomica, and we've been around for 10 years, and that is my main thing. And in the context of Diginomica, we're trying to really, really help readers understand like what matters in the enterprise software industry and why and mm. and sort of combine uh, our really customer use case focused approach with also strong opinions and strong takes which we don't necessarily expect people to agree with but we think it's our job right now to take positions on where technology is going and then you know people can decide whether they agree with our positions or not well, that's, uh, well, that's a bold uh, initiative, to say the least, in this day's, day of marketing and social hype. Um, so what's your you know position in the marketplace? What topics do you cover? What's your personal, professional focus uh, across this landscape these days? I'm guessing AI is in there somewhere as well. Yeah, for sure. So I think one thing that's kind of interesting, and we can get into this a little bit if you want, in terms of... 10 years into Diginomica, I kind of reached some new realizations about I want to start codifying what I've learned and come up with some like maybe controversial sound bites, like what I call the technology paradox, and then explain what that is all about. But basically, when Diginomica started, we had a couple agendas. One was we thought basically the state of, of the user experience for readers in the tech industry really was crap. And it's really gotten worse as far as like mm. most of the big tech sites autoplay videos everywhere, pop-ups. You can bear sometimes I'll send out tweets of like, <laughs> please save this article from destruction from all the ads and pop-ups that are going on. So we we wanted a really clean user experience um, that really let enterprise software readers focus on issues. And and the real core thing was we want to figure out how transformation works and how projects successfully get carried off in the enterprise and what are the keys that delineate product success from failure. Because whatever technology you look at, whether it's uh, business intelligence or analytics or core ERP or now a variety of cloud products and then AI, of course, the project failure rates are re rather high. And so the concept mm. the concept then becomes, now you can debate exactly what failure means in that context, but we can certainly agree that a lot of them underperform. And so the, the concept then becomes, well, how do we avoid that? How do we do a better job? And over time, what we realized is our, our site seems to attract change agents and people want to think differently and do better. And that kind of works for us because we're trying to do the same thing. So, But the one thing I would say is we're not trying to be better in that sense. We want to be part of the solution. So I think it's everyone's collective job to ensure better project outcomes for customers. And that means you, me, analysts, media, consultants, vendors, whoever, our job is to make that happen for customers on a more regular basis. Wow, that, that's a really unique uh, business model, unique positioning out there. Um, I guess the question is, how do you do it? How do you avoid the buzzwords and the uh, the pop-ups and the 
the marketing, which I'm pretty well known for, but but have the quality and the clients who, of course, they want buzz as well. They want impressions and reach and visibility and thought leadership. That's quite a balancing act, is it not? It is for sure. And look, I mean, there's no one right answer to this, right? But there mm. is in, in the B2B space, which is different than B2C, one of the things you have to take into account more in B2B is that in a B2C, alienating a small percentage of readers might be considered collateral damage and fine. But in the B2B space, those people might be budget holders and decision makers and people that would affect your future. B2B is a small world and those people have a way of coming back around. And so if you give them a quality experience, they're going to remember about that. But to your point, like, like, you know, we do have something on our website that is a little bit like a pop-up. It's like more of a slider, but it's subtle, but it is there. And, and you have to strike a balance in that sense, right? Because the web is a very busy place these days. And, and when people visit your site, they're not necessarily going to come back, even if they really like your stuff. So you do have to figure out a little bit of a balance there. But in general, the sort of framework behind how we think about the market is that if you take strong positions and you build the right relationships, you can contradict the algorithm a little bit through your own network in your own relationships, in your own platform. And it takes a long mm. time to build that up, but you can do it. And, you know, and, and, you know, we have to hit the road and go to events and, you know, sit down with people, break bread and all that stuff. And you, and you build those relationships one at a time, but then through things like newsletters and subscription stuff, you try to scale that a little bit. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, there, there is sometimes you miss out on some of the viral attention. If you, if you mm. try to be like, uh, like we had that slogan, a decade of trust you had up there. And like, we want to reader trust is paramount to us. And so we have to be really careful about not overhyping or, you know, or creating an, an argument for the sake of it. But the good news is there's enough controversial stuff going on that you can take a pretty strong position and, and, and attract a decent amount of attention, but you're right. It, it's a balancing act and we can't tell you how you should do it, Evan, but I, I'm just saying it's worked for us the way we've done it. Yeah, well, leave the clicks to me. I'm all about the hype and the viral videos. So, uh, you know, do what you do best. But uh, in all seriousness, you have a lot of partnerships as well with media companies and brands. How does that work uh, as, as a kind of media company yourself? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of what we what we envisioned from the beginning was to was to provide a platform for for software vendors you know, so a lot of our partners, we have some big, bigger partners like the Salesforces and Oracles and Workdays of the World, mm. and then and then a number of up and coming vendors, whether it's uh, Zoho or or Planful or uh, you know Sage Intact and Acumaticus, which became Intact became part of Sage. But we were working them before, so we had all different up and coming vendors as part of our site as well. But the concept was that that basically like to solve enterprise problems, everyone kind of needs to have a seat at the table, including. Vendors. It's just that they need to communicate with people in a different, less salesy type of way. But everyone mm-hmm. wants to understand technology and how to do it better. And and vendors really have a broad experience on the ground uh, when they can get out of their own way and figure out how not to talk in a branded way, but talk in a very practical way. They can make a real difference. And so you, know, you, you kind of think of the trade show dinner where people can have mm-hmm. these passionate conversations. And it doesn't matter where you're from. It's it's a great conversation unless you're stuck next to someone that whips out a business card like five <laughs> minutes in the conversation. And, and that feels very awkward. And so what we try to do on our platforms is to is to do that same thing of having those kinds of conversations, but not having that business card moment 
where it's like, oh God, they're trying to sell me something because then you lose reader trust. So it's a little bit tricky to figure out how to do that because you do want to, you know, link out reader journeys, help people back if they want to learn more about some of our partners offerings. But we really do work with them to figure out how is it you can communicate to the top themes because everyone right now is struggling with things that, that, that have common principles, whether you could talk about supply chain issues or customer experience issues. It's a difficult macro economy, but there's some ways to succeed within it. And so that's what we try to do is help everyone articulate that and solve those problems together. Nice approach. So you've been known for uh, emerging trends in core tech areas like ERP and CRM and analytics. Uh, Tell us about your focus and how it's maybe evolving, changing. Yeah, I mean, originally I was, you know, steeped in the ERP marketplace in the in the 90s. I built an ERP recruiting firm, but even then I was spending a fair amount of time on data warehousing and analytics. And like over time, that's kind of evolved for me where, you know, I have sort of different hats, like everything from the future of work and analytics to the impact of AI. Mm. I've spent I've spent a ton of time on generative AI and have developed some fairly, I guess you could say outspoken positions on that topic. Um, because AI kind of like in in contrast to some of the other trends that I've made fun of, like the metaverse, um, AI actually has, I think, profound implications for our, our future. And it ties together a few different things I'm very interested in, including uh, disinformation, the future of human creativity, and also from an enterprise software context, how can we be more successful, be more efficient? And so I have, I think, a, a way of writing about that that I think is at least different than other people, whether they like it or not. Mm. You can go to my site and decide. But I've been spending a lot of time on that topic lately. But in general, it's really looking at this notion of transformation from one end of the enterprise to the other and all the different points like it touches. And you know, the advantage of that is I have a pretty broad scope and I go to a lot of different kinds of shows. The disadvantage in some cases is there's some analyst types that I hang out with that are much more focused. Like I do, I look at manufacturing, discrete manufacturing, I look, mm. you know, and they go very deep in a particular area. Whereas I'm kind of trying to understand broader how to connect the dots. So that's what I do. Nice approach. So speaking of connecting the dots of all the tech topics, you mentioned AI, the Internet of Things, robotics, so much cool emerging tech. Um, what do you think is most transformational from a business? standpoint and what, why? What, what are you thinking there? Well, that's a really good question because I don't think that one size fits all. And, mm. you know, w- when I refer to the technology paradox earlier, that's something that I've come to kind of, I have these sort of Johnisms that I've come to believe about the enterprise software market after studying it for so long and doing so many customers use case investigations. And like what I've come to conclude is that the the big change when I started out in the, in the late 90s, I wrote this newsletter called Extending the Enterprise. And it was all about let's break down company walls and not be so focused internally on transactional systems, but how do we connect with our customers and suppliers? How do we make better decisions? All the stuff that we that we should be focusing on now. In the 90s, that was really idealistic and the technology wasn't there to support that. <laughs> so it was a cool idea, but the tech, even if you bought into the what I was selling there, your technology wasn't going to do that. You're you know, good luck stitching your ERP and CRM systems together with homemade integrations. What, where I think we've evolved to now is that the technology is no longer is nearly as much of an impediment to the things you want to do, which is not to say that some technology is immature. Like I point out some of the immaturity in generative AI technology, for example, all the time. But the point is that 
in general, because the technology is more mature and more things are possible, it really brings a renewed focus onto the culture, people, business problem, business model problems, and industry problems that we're all facing. And and everything's going to vary by industry and company in terms of what's most transformational to get to your question. And I don't think there's necessarily one one thing that is most transformational, but in general, I think the th- the things that really are common themes throughout industries are finding a harmony between um, you know managing your talent better and and automating things in various ways, whether it's you know. <laughs> through a more artificial intelligence type of automation or more of a classic ro- robotics process automation, we used to think that these two things were really going to be in conflict and they were going to, the robots were going to take over and a lot of people were going to be out of work and we'd be screwed. But most companies in just about every industry you talk to, if they're in, in any kind of growth model, will tell you they need both. They need all the people they can find and they want all the automation they can find too. And so the things that are transformative are the things that allow companies to do that but compete in in areas that matter to them. And so when I look at transformation, I look at time to value. Can you can you get some things up and running quickly that allow you to build momentum? Because what's not transformational anymore are three-year elaborate project roadmaps like we used to have. You gotta, if you mm. can't deliver some value within about six weeks and build on that, then you're not gonna be transformational because you're not, you're not the the sponsors of the, of those products aren't gonna have their jobs long enough to to see the transform transformation through. <laughs> but things that are transformational to me are things like cloud deployment, better user experience, better mobile experience, um, you know, uh connecting uh, customers with their back end so they can see <laughs> where their orders are, things that involve transparency, things that involve real-time data, things that involve better decision-making, empowering customers and employees. Those are all transformational things. Exactly what technology you use is going to vary. Well said. That's a lot of food for thought. Uh, and speaking of complex topics and, and subjects, what's your approach on the content side when, you know, it's very complex talking about privacy, and regulation, future of work, um, you know, you can't create 60 second TikTok videos that give you much value. Do you still focus on, you know, tr- reports and white papers and, uh, long form writing or what, what's your preferred communications, uh, vehicle these days? You, you ask a really good question. And like, so, so ultimately I think the predicament that we're in both in the enterprise software world and then also in society as a whole is that we're faced we, we a lot of us crave you know these more like snackable content moments, like the TikTokization of 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 culture and media, if mm. you will. But unfortunately, we're faced with vexing social problems that cannot be solved in sound bites, and so that's the contradiction that we're facing. And in in the consumer world, it's actually really troubling. Um, and I you know in the consumer slash political, the future of democracy side, I think it's a very troubling conversation. The interesting thing is that the things that people seem to have immersive time for on the consumer side are mostly things like binge watching True Detective and stuff like that, rather than binge watching C-SPAN or some political programming that would actually <laughs> provide context and understanding different positions instead of polarizing everyone. But on the enterprise side, I take the same position, and I've written about this. I, I recently wrote about: Do we have a? Does the enterprise have a fake news problem? You can look it up on Diginomica, and and mm. and to what extent does generative AI and AI in general impact that? And in general, my argument is that it, that the enterprise has less of a fake news problem because if we buy into bullshit that's wrong about what technology can do, we're going to leave a stream of failed projects behind us, and that's really bad. Mm. That's a that's a resume killer for the average executive. <laughs> 
So, so executives do need to dip into deeper content, but to your point, it can be difficult at times, right? So my video shows are often more than an hour long now, mm. now, um, and, and I, I write articles as well, but like, as far as video, well, you know, some people really want to watch that. Some people don't. So, okay. So how do I address that? Like, so for one thing on my live shows, I have a, a running stream of it's a Friday afternoon, happy hour kind of vibes. So I have a running stream of audience who like, they want to be there cause it's live. So that that's the thing. One is how they're live, but on the replay to your point, who wants to watch an hour long video. So, um, I do stream that out audio only to a podcast audience because I find that in general for a longer form audio podcaster is a preferred medium audio only because now you, I'm not tying you to the screen. You can go listen to it when you're working out. <laughs> My podcast audience also asked me longer, longer, longer. I want longer stuff because they just want to <laughs> keep going on the treadmill. They don't want to have to look up another podcast, <laughs> but, but I do use AI actually. And I've written about AI for video editing. I use AI to chop up clips of my longer videos to your point, because what I do want to do is, is issue some soundbite clips that, yeah, it doesn't solve the problem, but what I hope it does is it gets people's attention a little bit and, and encourages them to start dipping in to the deeper content when they have time. Um, and over time, as, as people trust you more, they want to engage a little further in your ideas. But I don't think there's any one right answer. I think each of us needs to come up with our own content formula. But in general, the digonomic of philosophy is that we want to engage people around important contextual issues, but we don't want to overwhelm them with like white papers and huge documents. We want to mm. engage because it's dialogue. The problem with the white paper right now is by the time you write it and finish it, the whole world has moved on. <laughs> and 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 now you have to redo the research because the data points are already not valid, which is not to say we shouldn't do annual studies and stuff like that. There's still a place for that. But I think the appetite for that kind of static content is fading. And what really matters right now is engagement. And if you look at LinkedIn, that's a classic example because what gets traction on LinkedIn? It's conversations. And and those happen daily. And so if if you spend your time just buried on white papers, you're missing out on all of that. Such a great point. And uh, same applies for me to webinars. No one wants to sign up for another effing webinar. It's, you know, again, it's this overload effect. Uh, if anything, maybe a summary of it or uh, some highlights or highlight reel. Yeah. Um, so let's look at talk about verticals. How how important is it to go deep into certain verticals, finance or healthcare, et cetera? Uh, or is there enough you know commonality across verticals that the big picture matters more? You know, I think it's a little bit of a combination. I, I think we can mm. learn. I think I think we can learn a lot from other verticals. And one of the things we work with some of our partners on as well when they write about verticals is to think about how to extrapolate some lessons from, like, for example, to your point, healthcare projects that might apply to other areas, right? So, for example, in healthcare, there's a lot of issues, as you alluded to data privacy earlier, right? Um, there's a lot of data privacy issues in that particular industry. Well, that's not the only industry that has data privacy issues, right? Mm. And so how how do you like improve personalized medicine without violating people's privacy? Like it's a really, really important thing that has to be conquered. And and how do you deal with that from a regulatory standpoint and all that other stuff? And so to some extent, you can you can you can extrapolate on that and, and look at other industries. And then of course, like as I said, talent, labor, automation, those things are almost universal at this point uh in, in interest. But there I think there are definitely different cross sections of different kinds of communities. And there are times where it does pay off to 
to drill down. You know, I spent a fair amount of time, for example, in in retail. We spent a fair amount of time in manufacturing and in in healthcare. We do do decent amount of stuff in public sector. So there are certain verticals where we have had more focus, but uh, but in general, like like I think it's a middle ground there of you know peers. You want to help peers communicate with each other and understand the issues. And industry is a really good peer group, but then also role-based stuff is good too. So like finance and CFO people want to learn from each other and, uh, you know, CIOs want to learn from each other and stuff like that. And the more you can bring those perspectives together, I think you can do a service to those groups. Fantastic. Well, I love your thoughts on community building and some of the tactics you describe I think uh, vendors on the enterprise software side could do a lot, lot, learn a lot from what you're doing around community building. You know, some are doing it well, you know, like a Salesforce who have a lot of resources for that. Others are kind of missing in action. Um, you know, maybe that's something they could focus on this year is those, those private communities. I mean, I have a dozen different Slack and, you know, WhatsApp and message groups. And a lot of the action happens there, not in public on various channels. Is is do you find that the same? Hundred percent. In in the um in the uh in this book, we call it a D book, it's like an ebook. I wrote a like sixty pager that was like tier point. Like I'm not gonna write another one of those in a while. But uh <laughs> but it was about reaching the informed buyer and, and I made the case for this framework around opt what I call opt-in communities, but basically moving from an opt-in audience to an opt-in community framework where instead of people just passively consuming content, they're starting to engage with each other. And to your point, some of that's going to happen via the back channel. And that's one of the challenges you have with community now is it's a little more dispersed. You can't just build one website and host everyone there. You have to figure out how to go where people are. And to some extent, like you said, some of those communications are back channel, but some of them are not. And, and you can compile data from that. And by the way, that really helps with all the next generation AI investments you're making to have that data. But to your point, Salesforce is one of the few vendors that's really proven that model as far as not only the the the, the obvious energy around that business user community they developed, but then they developed a lot of metrics that have shown how that com- community engagement is linked to uh, increased purchases, increased upselling, increased customer engagement from the customers that do actively participate. And to your point, a lot of vendors have failed to connect those dots and they don't understand the the, the impact that that community can have on customer success and on buyer confidence. Like when a buyer is looking at a vendor to see that dynamic so-called ecosystem where people are really connected in, in all kinds of different apps and partners and, and customers hanging out. And like you said, back channel stuff going on that you can get into and a lot of vendors are really missing the boat on that to their detriment. And, and our model tries to correct against that. But of course, every vendor is going to make their own decisions there. But to your point, they probably have a lot to learn from what you're doing with your back channel communities as well. Yeah. And I think it, in, in, in the enterprise or on the vendor side, it starts from the top. I mean, you use Salesforce as an example. Mark Benioff, incredibly social animal, uh, you know, out there at the forefront on lots of issues, not just tech. Um, uh, on all the platforms. I think he follows me on Twitter and even LinkedIn were connected, which is, you know, kind of wild. But um, not all executives are comfortable being out there, putting themselves out professionally right. or even personally, God forbid. So I think it's kind of a wake-up call for the C-suite. Yeah, I- exactly. I mean, I, I talk about this uh, buzzword boomerang effect of customer success where mm. where vendors push customer success, but the implications to me about that are 
how can you have customer success outside the context of, of a robust community structure where customers can engage with each other, get answers to questions, field uh, meaningful feedback, you know, get, you know, sense of roadmaps and what's coming. How can you even talk about customer success when you don't have some, some type of dynamic community? And one of the things that, that I try to conceptualize in, in my recent stuff that I'm doing about like 10 years of Diginomica is like, how do those pieces fit together? Because basically all those things should connect, like the content that you're producing, the community you're building, the events that you're conducting, they should all feed into that that goal of 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 that deepening that community. And then of course, you know, the the end result of that is is better project results, but also better opt-in data, right? And you know, first party data is gonna be gold in this era. I mean, one of the biggest things that's distinguishing enterprise AI. Uh, from consumer AI, like GPT stuff, where you read about these, you know, hallucination type meltdowns all the time. One of the big distinctions is if you do it right in the enterprise, you can get a more accurate experience, but you can't do that without customer data. And you can't do that unless customers have opted into that and said, you can, you can use this and we trust you. And so trust and data and opt-in communities, it's, it's all connected. And that's what I would really want enterprises to take away from this because it's not as simple as, oh, I'm going to go buy some AI. If you don't have your data platform and your customer community built, where are you going to get the data that allows you to get a good result? You're not. And there's going to be a backlash and there's going to be a problem. Wow. Mic drop moment. Well, uh, on that note, my shows are a little shorter than yours. So we'll wrap no things worries. up. What are, you, what are you excited about? This year in particular, I think you'll be on the road a fair amount. What's, oh, yeah. what's on your agenda? Well, I mean, nothing beats like, you know, you know, actually the travel's not the fun part, but getting when you get there mm-hmm. and you're, and you're kind of hearing from customers on the ground and, you know, those, those, I, I've written about serendipitous moments at events, but you know, those lunches with whoever, you never know who you're going to sit down with. Like those moments, like are gold because in our virtual world, those are the serendipitous moments that are hard to simulate virtually as much as I am a virtual event advocate. I, I do acknowledge that. So I, I really look forward to to that and learning learning what what customers are doing. But I, I do think that this is a really pivotal time for, for companies because, you know, it's like th- there's this challenge of like economic you know, macro headwinds, but there's also these opportunities that are being presented by all these new technologies referred to, which we didn't cover all of them today. Sorry. But making sense of all that is, is fascinating. And so that's the kind of thing that drives me is to try to try to find a way to explain, you know, I just did a piece on AI project success and failure and what's going to distinguish the two. And like those kinds of things really fire me up because if we can be a part of more success like that to me, keeps my curiosity going and it keeps me from becoming too cynical. Cause that's my job is to try to be like appropriately skeptical and, and even humorous at times with that. But then I also did never want to lose my curiosity. Only way to do that is to talk with customers and hear the passion they have for what they're doing. So. Well said, well, uh, it's been a delight chatting and I've, I've learned a lot. Um, cool. We shouldn't have waited 10 years to actually have this. Uh, Massachusetts baby. Connecting. Yeah, and we'll yeah. have to break bread, maybe a Celtics game uh, coming exactly. up. And um, thanks so much for, for watching, everyone. Reach out to John. Follow him personally as well as uh, the corporate handles. Uh, lots of fun, amazing insights. One of my go-to uh, uh, handles on social media. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone. Pleasure. Thanks, Evan. Take care. Stay safe.